Good morning, Springbrook. That's what I love to hear. Yes, Palm Sunday morning. I'm so glad you could be with us. I'm so glad you made this service a priority because this begins Holy Week around the world where Christians celebrate the amazing things that happened in this particular week. Today we're going to talk about Palm Sunday and on Good Friday, we'll have our service at 7 and on Easter at 9 and 11. We'll be praying who you might uh, invite out. Uh, I was in my office uh, for a second between services, and I saw in the news that there was a uh, bombing of a Coptic church, and they're evangelical, and it went off in the front row, 2,000 people. It killed 15 people so far, but that will probably go up and injured 40. So let's pray for that church. And there also was another bomb that went off at another church. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Satan is on the move. It's all Satan's work. And uh, it's so heartbreaking. I pray you be with those churches or any other churches who are affected by this. And I pray you'd comfort them and console them injured or spouse died. Uh, Lord, you said Christianity is dangerous. And it is. And everyone who died this morning, they were all martyrs if they knew you as their Savior. They're all martyrs. In fact, that's the highest honor is to be a martyr for you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, Palm Sunday. Yeah, Palm Sunday has always been well-known and celebrated, but many times we don't really get down into the details to see what actually happened during this period. So that's what we're going to do today. See what happened that weekend. John 12, 1 and 2. Now, it's recorded in all the Gospels, uh, so, but this is John's version, so I'll be throwing different information from other Gospels as we talk. Six days before the Passover. Now, what's the Passover? The Passover, of course, you go back to Egypt when the Israelites were in captivity and Moses came along and said, let my people go, and he sent ten plagues, and the last plague was the angel of death. And the Israelites were told uh, to sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on the doorposts, and their firstborn would not be killed. But if they didn't do that, their firstborn would be killed. And of course, the Egyptians had no respect for God, so they didn't do it. So can you imagine that? Just all oh, these firstborn children, as well as cattle and livestock, uh, died. What a terrible morning. But God used that to change Pharaoh's heart, and to let his people go. So what they would do in Jerusalem, they'd have these festivals, and they had the festival of Passover in spring. And of course, that was foreshadowing that Jesus Christ would be our Passover lamb, that he would pay for our sins, that he would bring us back to God. So, Jesus is in the area, and if we're king to Bethany, 
where Lazarus, with whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they get dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Anything special about that verse? <laughs> Jesus raised someone from the dead. Like he was close friends with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Many times he would stop by their place in Bethany and rest. Uh, very close friends. And, and when someone came to him and told them that Lazarus uh, is very, very sick and is going to die, he did not immediately go to help him. And he let him die. Now, why would he do that? Friends, many times as we go throughout Holy Week, we see Jesus Christ as a victim. We see Him going through all these things because this bad thing has happened. And... But you know, it was all God's plan, right? Everything that happened to Him was part of God's plan. And the key thing about Lazarus rising from the dead, especially how it happened, I mean, uh, he died and was buried in the tomb. And then, four days later, he came back. So with that type of time frame, you had people who were at the burial, and people who saw him alive. I mean, really, can you imagine that? One of us, maybe dying in a car crash, and they have the service this week for that person, and uh, uh, three days later... He's back. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, really, we saw him, whoever it might be. Uh, we saw him, and he was here on Sunday, but then we heard about the traffic accident and the death. And he went to the memorial service or funeral. And then he showed up again. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? I'll tell you what, if that happened, this church would be Packed out next week. We'd have to laugh like five services because everybody heard this news. And it's been verified. This guy, he was buried out the cemetery and all of a sudden he's here. Amazing, right? That is an amazing story. And this particular miracle was the pinnacle of all Christ's miracles. This was the, this is like the, uh, <laughs> Uh, fireworks, they have a, what's the, what is it, at the end? What? Finale, thank you. Uh, I mean, this is the big one. And he planned it. He planned that Lazarus would die and that he would rise again. <laughs> so, uh, the, the news spread, obviously, and people came to see Lazarus. Now, Bethany over here is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And Bethpage is where the disciples get the donkey from, or two donkeys. And the Mount of Olives is where, of course, Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. And then you have uh, the Temple Mount. So it's critical now. There isn't, it's only like two miles from the Temple Mount to Bethany. And this is important because if it would have happened some other location, 
it wouldn't be as powerful because you had all these pilgrims coming from around the world for the Passover celebration. I said, you know, history book uh, other than the Bible, like 256,000 lambs uh, were sacrificed uh, during that period. So you have a really, really big crowd there. I mean, Jerusalem is packed out and the surrounding areas uh, because they want to remember what God did for them when they were in Egypt. So the chief priests, now remember Jesus Christ, God has a plan, right? <laughs> they have their own plan. They didn't want to get rid of Jesus forever. I mean, they were so livid because he was taking the attention away from them. And they didn't like that. So they wanted to kill Jesus. They had planned it a couple times. didn't work. But this time, God will do the favor for them. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death because they had to get this story down. It was just boiling and just the topic of conversation everywhere. And all their worst fears about Jesus taking over are coming true. They're very upset. Because of an account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. There are a lot of people. You have to remember, okay? Jesus Christ was the most popular, well-known person in Israel at that time. You've got to remember, he had three years of ministry where he was going to different places and healing people and uh, giving sight to the blind, uh, casting demons out, a lot of supernatural stuff. And people, you know, were following him. They didn't have a lot to do back in that day. So he had a really good teacher, especially who could do miracles. That's where I want to be. And he had been all over Israel. Many people had met him. All right? So, he is the most popular, the most loved person in Israel at this time, which, of course, he should be. We need to remember that, that Jesus, especially with Lazarus, now it's on everybody's lips about Jesus. And many are saying, hey, I'm going with him. I'm going with him. John 12:9. when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, at, at the Bethany, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the fervor continues to grow. I mean, actually talk to somebody who just was dead. What happened? <laughs> That'd be pretty fascinating to talk to that person. So the crowd started to build in Bethany, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 9 says exactly that. In fact, I would encourage you this week, as part of Holy Week, uh, just to search uh, on the web and just put Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ's life. And there's like over 300 of them. 
300. <laughs> if somebody really knew the Old Testament, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, I mean, you'd think that they put this together, but they don't. Now, if Jesus Christ is entering into Jerusalem and he's proclaiming himself as king, don't you think that he would have come in on a white horse, right? All oh, people surrounding him, just drinking in all the love and all the appreciation. Well, that didn't happen. What happened was, is he told the disciples to go find a colt and its mother. And it sounds like there was a believer there who had that, so they borrowed that. And that's what Jesus Christ came in as. Now, which, which donkey do you think he rode? one that's right why because jesus was all about humility he came to serve us he came to save us and so you got to imagine i mean this had happened like a hundred years before with judas maccabees uh he had some military triumphs looked like he'd be able to take on rome and they had the same type of celebration but nothing happened so here it is again, this opportunity. Uh, so yeah, Jesus rode on the small donkey or the colt. Uh, and the mother was there as well. Why? Because the mother goes everywhere. <laughs> All right, moms? <laughs> no, the colt would only follow the mother. So they had them both together. But here he's on this colt. Uh, not exactly really you know, <laughs> spectacular in any sense of the word. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So you got, I don't know how many people who are a part of this that were part of the burial and part of the, seeing the resurrection. I mean, you know. They were just fueling the energy of the Passover in Jerusalem. They were bearing witness. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah, Lazarus, I've known him forever. He died. And Jesus, kept, Jesus went to his tomb and said, Lazarus, come on. And he did. Oh, with his grave clothes on and everything. But he looked very healthy. Very odd. I, I just can't believe it. And then they go to the next person to tell the story. And the next person to tell the story. And there's just such electricity in this huge, huge crowd. They were bearing witness. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast. Heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. All right. Those are the people at uh, Bethany. And they came to Jerusalem, followed Jesus Christ. And then you have the Passover going on over here. And the two crowds came together. And it's interesting, you know. I, I grew up in a church and see Bible pictures like this. Oh, that's a nice picture. Uh, Jesus must be about 6'8", I don't know. 
I don't know where the colt went, or that's a colt, or that wasn't needed, I guess. And uh, there's some palm branches. Wasn't that great with the kids? Yeah, that's so fun. Uh, so maybe, I don't know, 15 people there. Now, friends, do you think that's what it looked like? I don't think so. Remember? <laughs> the season has started, my friends. I missed it last week. Somebody told me, I said, oh, how could I miss that? You know, our World Series champions. Now, for you Sox fans, uh, I know you've only won two games. And Cub fans, of course, we've won three. And you think that wouldn't be a big deal. And I tell you what, it looks like this. Right? No doubt. <laughs> now, what happened last year? Uh... When the Cubs won. Well, the crowd came out, right? Look at that. How many were there? Anybody there? <laughs> yes, praise God. I mean, what a celebration. And what were these people so excited about? They were excited because a miracle had taken place. Right? The Chicago Cubs, the loser of all losers, the national loser in baseball, actually won. And these people, they've had all these pent up emotions within them. And man, I tell you, it was all over the place. And it was that crowd. Look at that crowd. Now, Chicago said it was about five million. I don't think so. I'm a Cub fan. Everybody says, I don't know. There were a lot of people, though. They were down the parade route. Uh, they were here. Now, friends, this is what happened on Palm Sunday. Now, oops. See my little red thing? Imagine that the Jesus Christ uh, is on his uh, colt. And let's say he is right there. And uh, that's what it was like. I mean, crowds and crowds. I mean, they were all kind of pushing in. And, and you know, as, as Jesus Christ entered, uh, what they typically did for royalty is they, they would take off their cloaks and they would lie them down so Jesus uh, could walk over them and maybe lay down the palm branches and they're waving the palm branches and you, who knows, got over two million people right there. <laughs> That's a much different scene because it was Jesus, the one that they'd learned about over three years. And then he caps it off with bringing Lazarus back uh, to the dead. So, yeah, they were keyed up. And you know why they were keyed up? You know, they were waiting for a political savior to overthrow Rome so that they could have their own independent nation. Uh, that was always their desire. And they were looking for their Messiah, someone who would save us from political oppression. But they didn't realize Jesus came to give us spiritual freedom. To give us a relationship with Him. 
to give us the Holy Spirit. Remember, he said, I got to go, but I got to help her. And he's going to be even better than me. Oh, I can't be. Oh, yeah, because he's inside of us. And he encourages us and challenges us and convicts us and, and teaches us. You know, it really is a privilege to be living at this time in history. Because, again, the new church, the first hundred years, I and mean, they learned some things, but we've been able to witness 2,000 years of church history. I tell you, because of uh, the nature of technology, there are more Bible resources out there than you can imagine on the web and in books and all that. It's really a great time to be a Christian. And we as a disciple-making church want to encourage you and challenge you and pray for you that you would take it to the limit. Right? What's your mission here on earth? It's to lead people to Jesus. And we get confused on that. And I do, you know. Hey, it's all about Dan, right? How does it impact Dan? You know, what does Dan want? And then sometimes I say, now wait a second. I get up in the morning and I say, God, I'm here to glorify you, not glorify me. And you can do anything to me in my life. But I want to glorify you. Now that's, you just have to keep working on that, again, the Christian worldview. That we're here on behalf of God to bring others to Himself. John twelve thirteen. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, what was so special about a palm branch? Well, it was something that thrived in the desert. Palm trees, as we know, they thrive in the desert, and it was evergreen. So beautiful in the midst of the heat of the desert to find a tree that looks like this, and it symbolizes joy and power and great times. That's why they were waving it, because they thought Jesus would bring that to them. Hosanna again means save us. So, let us say this verse together. You ready? A lot of energy. So they took branches. I can't hear you. My, my, my voice is really loud, so you have to, you know. Okay, ready? So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed! Yeah! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! Now, we can cry that out in truth because we know why Jesus came. So let's say Hosanna. Okay. One, two, three. Hosanna. You do better than that? One, two, three. Hosanna. Okay, how about this side? One, two, three. Hosanna. One, two, three. Hosanna. What do you think? <laughs> Hosanna means save us. Save us. And, you know... We have lived many years, some of us, and, uh, you know, 
We come to that point a lot, right? Save us. They're saying save us politically, but we say save us spiritually. Save us first with the good news of the gospel. And then continue to save us as we work through the everyday challenges of life for grace into his life. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, why is this so significant? He was coming in identifying himself as the Savior, the Messiah, the King of Israel. Why is this so strange? Because throughout his whole ministry, he was trying to keep it a secret. You know, a miracle for somebody. I say, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Keep it on the down low. Okay, all right. Don't get it out there. <laughs> you know? And when people asked the question, he would dodge it or he'd remove himself. He knew that there was a timing to everything, and it wasn't yet. But now, he is presenting himself fully to the Jewish people as their king and their Messiah. And again, they thought political. He was doing spiritual. Really interesting. He kept quiet his whole life. Until this time, until the Holy Week, he said, I am God. I am Jesus Christ. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna means save us. From Psalm 118, 25, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Isn't it wonderful the privilege we have to call out on God when we need His help, when we need His resources? Some of you right now are going through very difficult circumstances. Uh, You're physically ill or somebody else is ill uh, in your circle of influence. Uh, Maybe... uh, The marriage is not going the way it should go. And it's so messy and it's so painful. And the kids and... Yeah. um, Things just are not working for you. You feel like God has abandoned you. Because you keep praying and nothing happens. Well, friends, God does work in your life. And we go through suffering, and uh, God gives us grace every day to handle that. But I don't want cancer. I don't want this problem with my marriage. Well, God knows that, but it's all part of the fall and how things lined up. So, you must trust Him in the darkness. It's very scary sometimes, isn't it? You know? You don't have that same certainty about life anymore. It's like, anything would happen. That's when you need to go to God. And even though you don't feel Him anyway, read the passages that comfort you and encourage you. John sixteen twenty. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking to the disciples, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Of course the world will rejoice. (laughs) 
Not the religious leaders rejoiced. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I, I feel sad for the disciples, you know, because they were really clueless about what was going on. They thought he was a political savior, too. And then he's crucified. It's like, what's the deal? I mean, they went through a great amount of emotional pain, and I would have done the same thing. Uh, but now he says that's going to be turned to joy. His disciples did not understand these things. And remember what was happening on Palm Sunday at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to them. Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus after his resurrection? And he explains everything to you. Everything that happened in the ministry over three and a half years, what the purpose of it was, why he did certain things. They had a lot of questions, I can assume. But it's like, boom, the light bulb goes off. It's like, whoa, it all falls together. I should like that when the light bulb goes off. It's fun, isn't it? When you see something in a totally different way, and friends, this is why Scripture, reading, meditation, memorizing is so important. Because the Holy Spirit is within you. And you can be reading a passage in the Bible that you've read who knows how many times. But the Holy Spirit turns on the light in that passage. It gives you insight. That, that's why it's so critical that we be reading our Bibles every day. And, uh, we're reading through the Bible in a year here at Springbrook using the blended version. on uh, U version. How many are involved in that anyway? Reading the Bible. Okay, well you can always jump on. Remember what I said? It's okay if you miss a day. Or miss three months. You can always get back on the hours, right? <laughs> you, you, because again, as you read God's Bible and you have a receptive mind, He will teach you things that you never imagined. He will comfort you when you're so down. You say, I, I can't go on here and read His Scriptures. You know, Holy Spirit gives you hope and as you talk with others in a community or a disciple-making community. I mean, yeah, there is chronic illness. And it's really hard for so many. But uh, I always encourage people to look for the grace every day. And you have maybe have an illness you're not, never going to be fully uh, healthy. But look for His grace every day. Because He'll show you things you've never seen before. But I want to be healthy! Yeah, I know that'd be preferable. But uh, He's taking you down a different pathway because He has a plan for your life. Well, what kind of plan is this anyway? Well, it's a part of His plan. It's a part of His mission to reach people for Jesus Christ. And, and again, it's very difficult to process things when you're in pain. But just hang on to God. And uh, 
going to teach you new things about himself. John 14.6 is the most powerful verse in Scripture. Jesus Christ claims, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God. All the other world religions have it wrong. And all people just go, oh, why can you say that? It's not fair. It's universal. Everybody goes to heaven. Why wouldn't God want everybody to go to heaven? Well, we all are cursed. And only Jesus Christ, by burying the sins on the cross, could do that work for us. I was talking with Matt Johnson, our youth pastor, and he was talking with a guy in his 20s this past week, and they, I don't know where they were at, but he was sharing the gospel, and he was saying, okay, he took the, the salt shaker and said, this is God, and the pepper for sin. <laughs> this is sin. <laughs> I don't know. He'll need a straw crossing, kind of like the bridge illustration. <laughs> and it was so interesting, just the way he told, because the light went on. This person saw clearly for the first time in his life. That's exciting. And that's what we want to do. We're a disciple-making church. But we've got to step out with evangelism. Again, we have not seen uh, the number of uh, conversions. Uh, They have been very high in the last several years. And if we're going to be a disciple-making church... We need to be intentional about evangelism. And there's all kinds of different ways you can uh, touch a person's heart. For right now, uh, example, right now, uh, the case for Christ. Anybody seen the case for Christ yet? Came out, I think, on Friday or the week before. Uh, the story of Lee Strobel and how he tried to disprove God. And I was talking to Brett Feiler and he said it was a great movie. You know, it all depends. And you have to continue to pray for the Holy Spirit's leadings in terms of how far to go. But maybe that would be, maybe they like to go to movies. <laughs> hey, can I take you to a movie? It's really just a, a great movie about how this guy doesn't believe in God and then he believes in God. Right? So keep planting those gospel seeds. And I said, this is uh, Paul of the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What do people need to do to become a Christ follower? They need to repent of their sin. And they need to believe that Jesus Christ has done everything. Their good works don't amount to nothing. They come humbly to God and say, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I repent. I want to be your child. That's that's, that's it. Well, that's pretty simple. It is simple. But then again, it's not, because we, we don't want to give up control, right? We don't want Jesus being Lord of our lives, so a lot of people struggle with it. But look at this, Revelation 7-9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, With palm branches in their hands. Isn't that beautiful? That's going to happen someday. 
It's so precious to be a child of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, what your Son did for us to bring us to you. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to work in all our hearts and to have more of an evangelistic passion to lead people to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.